Hey everybody and welcome to the 9 Decide podcast where we chat with super amazing and inspirational people who pounded the pavement before and after their 9 to 5s to get their side hustles off the ground. After listening to the interviews with these amazing guests, you'll walk away with a refreshed pep in your step and a newfound motivation to make your side hustle a reality. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the 9 Decide Podcast. I think that I mentioned, no, I know I mentioned that we moved the day after Christmas, which is straight up insanity. I don't recommend it. Never do it again. It nearly broke me. I feel like I'm still broken from it, literally. My finger has been broken for a thousand years. I broke it like in September, and I'm convinced that it like still hasn't healed. Like People see me, and my finger is still broken because I just think that my body is shutting down and is shut down from all of the stress of all the moving and all sorts of things. But anyway, in the move, we moved like a whole 10 minutes from where we used to live back to the town that I grew up in. Hashtag townies for life, class of 97. Don't calculate the math because I'm old. But we did move the kids to new schools, which in retrospect, I probably should have thought a little bit more about how difficult this change would be because eight-year-old, six-year-old, and the four-year-old doesn't count because he's in his same school. But yes, the eight-year-old in third grade and the six-year-old is in first grade. The six-year-old is my daughter. She's like happy as a clam. I don't know. You could put her anywhere. And she's like, it's amazing. I just love my life. So I didn't worry about her. My eight-year-old, not so much. He is not happy, angry, angry. And not to mention on top of it, the start time of the school is like obscenely early, gets the bus at like 7.09, which is painful for all of us in the family. And yes, he's been waking up when it's dark out. So he repeatedly tells me that He doesn't understand why he has to go to school that starts in the middle of the night and that I should call the principal or the mayor or somebody to talk about the school time. So needless to say, our conversations at the end of the day for the last, you know, month or so have been somewhat tense. And usually around the dinner table, we talk about things like, how was your day? Name one great thing that happened. And, you know, that's been a little harder to come up with some positive answers, let's just say. So, you know, when we ask, how was your day? It's like, can't name one good thing, hate it, hate it, worst thing ever. So in my effort to try to find something positive to change the dialogue, so to speak, or the banter at dinner, I was like, oh, what kind of games could I get that would create some kind of conversation? So anyway, I started searching for some family games and came up with this game that was like like a card game about how well you know your family and blah, blah, blah. And anyways, it sort of distracted from like the negative talk and created something fun for us because it's, you know, a lot of times kids are on their iPad and games are sort of this really nice thing that can bring families together. That sounds like a super cheesy Hallmark card, but it's true. And when you sit around the table, there's not a lot of times where you get the opportunity to all sit together after working or being at school or sports or whatever. So there are these games, like back in the good old days when we used to play board games or other types of non-electronics that are really fun. So anyway, I had not put a second of thought into really like what goes into making a game for kids or a family-focused game or even like adult games, you know, and like who creates these and how are they made and who comes up with the concept. You know, I may have thought about it like way back in the day, but never in my head did I think of like, could I come up with something like a cool concept for a game and sell it or maybe license it to somebody or it just never was a thought in my mind. And so 
That's why my next guest is so cool. I think what he does is really awesome. And like I said, a subject I hadn't thought of. So his name is Kevin Carroll, and he came up with the game Tenzi with his business partner, Steve Mark. And if you haven't heard of Tenzi, you probably have seen it like a million places, like me, after I met him and interviewed him, I was like, oh my gosh, I see that game everywhere. It's a dice game that if you go into like a local toy store or most of the toy stores have it, but you'll see them on the end cap or at checkout, but it's a simple dice game. They came up with this concept and then they basically sold it to all these toy stores. And it is the coolest thing to talk to him and hear about, you know, how he came up with this concept with his business partner. He also had another game concept that he came up with his daughter. So if you've ever been interested in coming up with a game idea or have thought like, hey, I've got a great idea for a game. Like, how would I go about selling it or licensing it? Or who would I contact? Or what are the steps that I would take to go about even getting it on Amazon and selling it? You have to listen to Kevin Carroll because he's a wealth of knowledge and he literally breaks down the steps. And I'm like, huh, that actually doesn't seem so hard because in my head, I'm like, that must be impossible. Like I just, I always think of the big game companies and they come up with all the games or I don't know. I've just never in my mind thought that somebody could just come up with a game and reach out and actually pitch it and get it sold. So if you've ever had a thought about doing that or like I said, have a great idea. Listen to my interview with Kevin Carroll and you'll be inspired, even if you don't have a good idea, to try to come up with one. I have yet to do so. I haven't literally passed go, no pun intended, when I think of trying to think of cool games. But anyway, listen to Kevin Carroll. He's very inspirational and has a ton of knowledge just in his career prior to coming up with Tenzi and selling that and building that whole kind of game empire that he has now. But Without further ado, I'm rambling. Here is my interview with Kevin Carroll. Thank you, Alexandra. My name is Kevin Carroll. I actually have two side hustles. My background was advertising. I was in advertising in New York and Connecticut for a number of years and wanted to get out of that business. So way back when, probably about 25 years ago, I left the ad business and went into my own business as a communications or presentations coach. So basically, I go into organizations and I work with people to improve their presentation skills. So that's been one major side hustle. And that was very purposeful when I did that one. The second one is invent games, board games, tabletop games. And about 10 or 12 years ago, a buddy and I bumped into each other, hadn't seen each other in a while. And I said, hey, let's see if we can come up with a dice game. And he said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And lo and behold, we did. So now I find that I am in the game business, which basically takes most of my time now. And my buddy and I fly around the country. We go to trade shows. We sell lots of 10Z dice games as well as other games. So that's what I do now. That sounds so fun. And I feel like the two go really well together. I mean, obviously speaking and helping with presentation skills goes well with any job or if you're pitching product or something like that. So you're going out to trade shows. So let's talk about how you got into the coaching too, real quick. How did you transition out of your advertising career and get into that? Sure. Uh, so as I said, I wasn't happy at a certain point in the advertising career. So I said, all right, what am I going to do to extricate myself from it? And at the time, uh, young children, mortgages, the whole thing. And my older sister was a presentation coach. I looked at her and I said, wow, she's been doing it for years and she's very happy and she's very good at it. I wonder if that's something I could do. So for five years, while still in advertising, I spent evenings teaching adult education courses all on how to give effective presentation. And I loved it because what I learned in advertising, what's your point? And then make it really interesting. After five years of teaching evening courses, one day I sat down and I said, okay, this is it. I've got to make the jump. And that's when I did it. 
did you have enough income? Like when you were deciding to leave this, had you built a website and a client base and you were already had some income coming in? What was the process of deciding to just make sure. that leap since you had a family? The money that I had built up was really retirement type of money, which you really don't want to do. Use, oh, okay. I was do like, I... would you recommend that to somebody else? Um, yes, because without that, that was one major, you know, there were times where I had to pull from that. And also I had a great relationship with the management at the ad agency that I worked at. I was very, very pleased with how they treated me, uh, helping me launch my own thing. So that worked well. And then pulling from my IRA. So that was financially how I put it together. And then just hustled to build clients slowly but surely. So when you were building the business, what were the main tactics that you used to get clients in the early days sure. when you were started your coaching business? So definitely corporate was my target for two reasons. One, they have the people and two companies have the money. I always felt that it would be hard to charge an individual what I needed to charge them in order to coach them. But companies, it's a commodity that they use to accomplish their tasks. So I knew that, hey, I wouldn't be doing this five days a week. I'd be lucky if I could get one, maybe two days a week doing it. And how was I going to make that work? So I targeted companies. They had the need. They had the people and they had the budgets to bring me on. And basically, I never did cold calling. It didn't work for me. I don't believe in it. So what I did was warm marketing, which is my network of friends and family. So you don't believe in cold calling at all? I really don't. You know, those that can do it, fantastic. That's great. So then how many clients do you feel like you had or you need to have? Because you still have this business going to this day, right? Right. I do. It's uh, do. the game business is the predominant way I spend my time and where my income comes from. But I still do have the other business. Yes. OK, you've got clients on the side. You're working with them. Tell us about like how the idea for Tenzi came up. Well, I'll, I'll step back a little bit with that. So when I left advertising, that was 1996. And around 2008, so what, uh, 12 years later, I've always liked game. And I had an idea for a game. This was before our, our dice game, Tenzi, which we had launched. But I had an idea for a game. And somebody, uh, I was talking to this woman who was my coach in my corporate business. And she said, how'd you come on your objectives, Kevin, in my corporate business? I said, well, I actually didn't do my objectives because I spent my time creating a game. And she was such a wonderful coach. She said, well, what do you mean you were creating a game? And I told her, well, I had invented a game, but I don't know what to do with it. She goes, oh, you need to uh, meet a friend of mine who lives in Norwalk, Connecticut, right next to where I live. And she's a game agent. She finds people like you and matches them with companies that have a need for a product. So I met this woman, one thing led to another, came up with a couple of game ideas with her. And she called me one day. She said, guess what, Kevin, I sold your game. You're basically licensing it. Your game, this again, before Tenzi, before the dice game, before teaming up with my old friend, Steve, my, with my daughter and I, we created a game called Pickles to Penguins. And Pickles to Penguins was licensed to a company. That was sort of my entry. It just sort of happened organically. But before I knew it, I was licensing this. And then shortly thereafter, after I did this licensing, I bump into an old friend of mine, literally cutting down Christmas trees. And he said, what are you up to? And I said, well, I still do my corporate training and I love that, but I think I'm in the game business now. And I explained how I came up with a game idea and licensed it. And he said, well, I have game ideas. I've always had game ideas. Let's get together and see if we can come up with a, an idea together. Six months later, we finally get together and probably spent about six, eight, nine months coming up with ideas. Then I read that one of the big game companies was interested in a dice game. And I said, well, that's great because that can help us put our mind around a simpler thing, which is come up with a dice game rather than what kind of any game. So I said to Steve, let's, I bought a bunch of dice on Amazon. I gave him a bunch. I took a bunch and I said, let's see if we will go our separate ways. Let's see if we can come up with a dice game. And two weeks later, Steve walks into my house and he's smiling and he shows me a little piece of paper that says speed Yahtzee. And he said, I think I got it. 
I said, I, here's a game I think could really work. And he basically told, and the game is this simple. He said, everybody gets 10 dice and that's why we call it Tenzi. Oh, that's where the name, I was going to ask you yeah. where the name Tenzi came from. Okay. Yeah, no, it's that simple. We're simple games by simple <laughs> people, Alexandra. Simple. I love it. <laughs> and so when he told me, you base, everybody gets 10 dice, you roll them as fast as possible. Whoever can collect 10 of the same number before anybody else can collect 10 of whatever number they're going for, they yell Tenzi and they win. We played it. We tweaked it a little bit. We simplified it even more, believe it or not. And then we put together some prototypes and I can continue that story in a little bit. But that's how we got together and launched this thing. That was the very beginning. I want to back up a little bit because I feel like you make it sound very easy to just come up with a game and then get it licensed and marketed. So if people are listening, somebody's interested for someone who specifically would be interested in games, ideas for games as a side hustle, what are the steps that you need to do to kind of try to get that out to the market? Because you Absolutely. mentioned licensing first. So right. talk to me about so that. The two avenues one can go down is licensing or manufacturing. Manufacturing is more the obvious one, harder, but it's all right, we're going to go to China or wherever and try to produce it ourselves. The first avenue, which is much easier, you don't make nearly as much money, but it's much easier. You don't have to do the heavy lifting is this concept of licensing. And the way it worked was my daughter and I, she was 15 at the time, we had this very simple idea called Pickles to Penguins. It was a card game, basically, really, really simple. And we put together, I think I went online and bought some flashcards with objects and items on it, which is the essence of what that game is. So we put together a, a rough prototype and then had met this woman in Norwalk. Uh, game Bird is, her, is the name of her company, Game Bird, and her name is Mary Elroy. When somebody overheard that I had a prototype, they said, oh, you got to meet Mary Elroy, who's a game agent. She matches game inventors like yourself, Kevin, with game companies. And so I met with Mary. She helped to refine the concept of Pickles to Penguins. And she said, all right, now I'm going to start to shop it around, see if we can get interest. And she probably, I don't know, however many companies she reached out, somebody really liked it. And they said, hey, we want to license it. Basically, every deal is different. But basically, when you license it, you'll end up with about roughly 5% of the wholesale. So let's say the game was to retail, like mom would buy it and dad would buy it in the store for $20. Well, the wholesale is $10. Okay. That's what the manufacturer is selling it to the stores for. Well, you would get 5% of that $10. So you'd make 50 cents a game. Not like I made big money from it, but it was more the whole concept of, wow, I'm in the game business now. This is legit. Somebody's That's out so there, they're producing cool. the game. Yeah, it was great. Somebody's producing the game and I guess I'm good enough uh, that I can come up with ideas. So, Well, I have a question about the agent. So in other areas of talent, like getting an agent for hosting, it's very difficult. For a game agent, for instance, if you were to come up with a prototype in terms of investment, like what are you talking about investment, what you did initially before you met with the gaming agent to like put the prototype together? Like how um, much- Maybe a hundred dollars, maybe. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> so, and, and in fact, from the research I was doing way back when, people tend to too hard. They spend a lot of money. They really try to get the prototype perfect. They do a lot rather than no, keep the prototype rough. And whether you go to a game agent or you could contact the game companies directly, can't find an agent or don't want to go through an agent, you start knocking on the doors of Mattel or Hasbro or dozens of other companies and pitch them your idea directly. But again, getting a prototype for us, the prototype was not very expensive at all. You could play the game and within moments, they're gonna know if that's the right game for them or not. Right. Then you've got the agent and you go through them. Do you get credit? Do you get your name on that game? Like forever and ever? Is that potentially always your game and you're gonna get royalties on that for yes, well, all yes. eternity? All that is possible. And yeah, they did put, well, that's part of the contract. I think we have maybe 
game bird that went on the box and they will pay you some money up front. And then when they sell games, they'll apply that, those, you know, 50 cents. And yeah, that could go into perpetuity. Now, sometimes that company who, let's say ABC game company bought it or license it from us, they might want to sell it to another company. You still have your licensing rights. You'd still get your royalties, but that game can go to possibly other different companies. In fact, that happened with Pickles to Penguin. And then eventually the company that had it said, hey, we'd like to buy you guys out. So then they proposed to us to buy us out of our royalty or licensing rights. Is it still on shelves? Can you still buy that game? uh, Yes. Yeah. It's on Amazon. That is so cool. I'm so interested in this particular industry because I feel like I don't know anything about it. Once you're connected with an agent, is it much easier now that you have that relationship to then be like, all right, I'm good at coming up with game ideas and knowing that you've got that connection, having Mary as your sort of point person, you can go back and she'll help you pitch other ideas. Yeah, yes, exactly. So she'd often say to me, Hey, what other ideas do you have? And I'd come up with ideas and sit down with her and we'd go through them. And again, she in very short order, and she's looking at the prototype saying, uh, yes, no, maybe. And probably, you know, one out of every three games, maybe she'd say, yeah, there's some possibility. I know one or two companies that may be interested in this and she'd pitch them and they may or may not be. Having an agent was a great thing. In terms of when you exited, what kind of figure, like, what do you get for like a game that you license to a company that you exit in a deal? Is that money that you could live on? Yes. So it all depends on how successful the game is. And it also depends on the game company and how they view the future of that game. Like, wow, we can really blow this out and that's going to have more potential. We made approximately $100,000 that the agent and I split. When you license a game too, the other part is that they're, they're marketing it for you and doing all of that. They're doing it all. So when you license it, you basically hand over the prototype and they'll confer with you and say, Hey, how would you want to take a shot at the rules or the, you know, because you'll give them them as well, but they'll change the rules. They'll, they'll tweak the cards. They're going to come up with their own look and feel. And as a nicety, they'll keep you involved, but you're basically out of it and they're doing all the heavy work which is an amazing model when you think about it. Yeah. And you can license not only toys and games, but when you have product. So it's a really amazing uh, way to go to business. Yeah, it sounds really great, especially a side hustle. If you're not looking to need that revenue as your right. full time career and you're doing it as a side hustle, it seems like a great way to get your idea out there. So let's shift to Tenzi and your friend and that that story and kind of you guys did a different model of that. So you came up with the game. You told us about that. Talk to me about getting that produced. And you sure. obviously you didn't go through the agent or, right. or do that. Right. So talk to right. me about how that came up. When Steve came by that day, we were playing the game. And we said, yeah, maybe we've got something here. He said, you know, it's so simple rather than licensing. And, that, and all I could think of was licensing because I didn't have the time or the know how to how do you manufacture and launch a game. But Steve, I call him like a marketing MacGyver. He yeah. just figures things out. He What's his career? Out. What was his full He was time? advertising. He worked at the same oh, okay. agency where I worked at. He was a creative oh. guy. So he's a writer. And we had good chemistry together. So he said, hey, it's just dice. And I think we could probably figure this out. And I said, well, you know, again, I don't have much time and this. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm willing. He was in a kind of a transition. And he said, no, I think I can do this. So we worked together and put together prototypes. So the first thing, uh, and again, Steve was largely driving this. He went to the container store and found containers that fit 40 diet place for the rules. And he created some labels and we put together maybe a dozen prototypes. Uh, this was maybe three weeks after the original idea when, when Steve presented it and uh, Steve drove up my way and we said, all right, let's start to knock on doors and see if we can get some traction in specialty toy stores. So not the Walmarts, not Target, 
but the mom and pop specialty stores like a Learning Express or Tom's Toy Store or whatever it may be. So we had our prototypes and the first store said, no, not interested. The second store said, no, come on back later. And then the third store we walked into in Fairfield, Connecticut on October 30th, 2010, <laughs> met the most perfect woman in the universe because we walked in there. It was 10 a.m. Everything was 10, 10, 10. It was the 10th month. It was 10 a.m. And uh, we said, hi, we're local game inventors and we have this new game, new dice game. And we're wondering if you'd consider carrying it. And she said, hey, guys, if you can tell me how to play your game in less than 30 seconds, I might be interested. Now, there's never been a game that's better than, than Tenzi for explaining in less than 30 seconds. She goes, oh, my gosh, I love that. Give me your prototypes. So we hand over the prototypes and about where Steve and I are hanging out in the store looking for other ideas and packaging tweaks that we were going to do to the product. Five minutes later, she yells over, hey, guys. I got your first sale. And sure enough, this woman, Celeste, she the very first customer that walked in. She said, hey, I got a brand new game here. And there's the inventors right there. And it's a great dice game. And here's how you play it. The woman who was there said, great, I'll take two of them. So right oh, there, as we're standing in the gosh. store, she sold our first two games. She then went on to sell like 300 games over the holiday period. And so I said, well, is that good? And she said, it is unbelievable. And I said, well, how many Yahtzees do you sell? And she said, I sell 50 Yahtzees in a year. You just sold 300 of your game over two months. She said this is and she then went on and did a video testimonial. And she said, this is by far the best selling new game I have ever had. And we then took that testimonial to go into other stores and build it slowly. And then we, we tweaked, we refined the product. And then the next holiday season, a year later, we were in about 100 stores. Wow. <laughs> you have great questions. Wow. Or you can I, ask okay. Questions. Now, could somebody, does that same approach work? Like if you had a game and a prototype, you can go into small stores and just pitch to them. Are they, is that something that they're open to? Is that the way they see new games? Yes and no. I mean, again, we got, I don't know what the heck happened. There's been so many amazing coincidences. We weren't sure what our end costs were going to be. We said, let's start there and see if we can move it at that level. She blew through them at $9.95. Then she raised it to $12.95. And then we said, let's raise it to $14.95. We crunched some numbers. We think we can make some money at that level. So right. $14.95 is what the retail was. And ultimately, when you produce it, the retail store is buying it from you for half that price. So seven fifty is what they would buy it from us for, and they would retail it for fourteen ninety five. Got it. So when you sold the three hundred, you said it. You sold three hundred more and all that. Had you gotten the cost down to produce it at that point? Were you still no, self producing we were losing, it with the we container every, store every, stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Every time we were selling a game, we were losing money. For you. The way we did it, we just didn't go big right from the beginning. We just did it step by step and started to increase it. And we invested money. And probably before we ended up pressing the button to go national on the thing, we probably spent maybe ten dollars or $15,000 each over about a year and a half to do all our prototypes and get us in about 100 stores. You spent ten or $15,000. Was that just building the product? And then talk to me about marketing at this time when you started, you had Celeste, who was your first customer who took that in and started selling. And then did you go around the same way to other stores using her testimonial? What was the next step for that? And when did you bring in marketing and all that stuff? And how much money did you spend on that? So that first holiday season, which was uh, of 2010, basically Celeste, her store, maybe one other store. Going into 2011, January, February, March, April, we refined the product, made more prototypes, knocked on some more doors, got us into maybe 10 more stores. And then Celeste, she said, you got to meet one of the reps that calls on me. What's a rep? They represent a line of products. And she said, I think they might be interested in representing your Tenzi game. So we meet that rep and he likes the game. He said, we're going to rep you in New England. 
So now for the next holiday season, he got us into about a hundred stores. And when you're doing that, you're paying your rep about 10% of the revenue that you're bringing in. So had you changed in- your model of production at this point? Had you outsourced? Like what was your... Yeah, we did. We, 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 um, there's a company up in Massachusetts called Grand Prix or GPI, Grand Prix Industries. And we found them and they had contacts in China and they handled that initial order and got us rolling with that. So now we're in about 100 stores. The price is coming down better. All indications are the stores like it. They like it a lot. They want to reorder. So if you're doing the route that you did with Tenzi, because this is very different than the licensing route, obviously you invested right. upfront $100 to get that prototype. And then they basically took it and ran with it. This, you invested all in before you became profitable. How much would you say you guys put in before the company started making money. In 2012, we said, let's go to Toy Fair in New York City. At this point, we probably have invested a total of 30,000, barely breaking even. We're losing some money because we've invested that 30,000. That's where all the manufacturers meet all the buyers. And Tenzi blew up in a good way, blew up at Toy Fair. And we said, okay, we now have to order thousands and thousands and thousands of games. So we still hadn't earned the money from that. So then we went to the bank and borrowed Big money, big money, you know, like hundreds right. of thousands of dollars so that we said, OK, we got to buy all these games. Now we're so taking a higher them. risk, but all yeah, to fill the pipeline. And thankfully, it clicked because we had done a year and a half of marketing and had good sales and had a good track record. And by the way, at that toy fair in 2012, not only did retailers loved it, but we had reps from all over the country saying, I heard about your game. I want to rep your game. I want to rep your game. So we had reps in a way fighting over our game. So overnight, uh, we had representation in every single state in the country. Two questions. One, the yeah. toy fair that you mentioned, if somebody has a game, what, is that something you could just sign up and pay to be a part of? Do you have to apply? Do they sure. have to accept you? How does that work? Uh, so you buy a booth. Now, at the time, it was a 10, for us, it was a 10 by 10, 10 foot by 10 foot booth that you pay about $3,000 for, for three days or four days. Uh, and then uh, at toy fair, they do have a like a new product area so that if somebody doesn't want to invest that much money, they might get a maybe a quarter of a 10 by 10 booth. So they're going to get a smaller area. I'm going to make up a number. Maybe it costs $1,000, $1,200 for the few days that you're there. And that's how you can start to get some exposure. But again, but when we when we did it, though, we were we had been out for a year and a half and we had about 100 stores that were buying it, that were loving it this rep company that was repping us. So we had some traction going in there. So you had some indication that it was going to pick up. And do you need a rep to rep your game? Like, is that something that's required? Like you pick up a rep and they're the ones that need to advocate and kind of- You really do. You don't have to. There's nothing legal about it. But otherwise, it's me, Kevin Carroll, calling a toy store in Des Moines saying, hi, I have this new game. And would you, and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. I got so much on my mind right now. So you really need that. Or you can go to, uh, I guess, find some distributors and go to distributors and sell through them that you're going to have to give them more money. And I want to go back for a moment, Alexandra, because before you ask about it, well, what did you do to market? We didn't spend money on advertising. What we did was when we sent out our first shipment to the store, we created a demo game, a free demo game. And we also created a rack that held nine Tenzi games. So for $67.50, a store could buy nine Tenzi games. They get this rack with a header card on the top, a little billboard, and the free demo game. And we said to them, just put it out by your counter with the demo game, and you can demonstrate this in a matter of seconds to people. And the fact that these mom and pop stores 
took this game in and put it by checkout and talked it up when it was in the store. That was the marketing. And that's what put us on the map. And they demoed it because otherwise it looks like, well, it's just a bunch of dice. Why are you going to spend money on a bunch of dice? It needed to be demoed. And those mom and pops who were still true to to this day, we deal with them. They put us on the map. That's so smart. That counter space, is that just an ask? Are you like, would you that, mind putting this on the counter? How does that work? That was pure magic because you're <laughs> right. I come from my bad background in advertising with, you know, Ocean Spray was one of the clients and you're paying slotting fees yeah. to get your product on. You're paying promo fees, display fees, everything, everything to the supermarkets. Mom and pops, they go, oh, what a nice rack that is. That's very nice. I can put <laughs> it on by my, my checkout and you got a nice demo game. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for helping us sell it. We really appreciate it because what happens in that store makes all the difference. Yeah. That's been one of the biggest learnings in all these years. So I'm learning so much about the gaming industry. So talk to me about the evolution of you've got Tenzi. You obviously have a lot more games that you came up with. You're on Amazon. Talk to me about how that came about. And then is there also like a word of mouth component? You've got the mom and pop shops, but there's social media now and people talking to you leverage Instagram and Facebook and, and those kind of channels as well. Or what's your main source, I guess, today? with your other games that you've come about to kind of spread the word and, uh, and advertise and market, get new followers. Sure. Well, so there's a lot there. One is yeah, about so the games go, and yeah. then the marketing. So I'll, I'll go at it. We'll see if something sticks. Go back, go back. So we had Tenzi. Then we came out with a set of cards, which was 77 more ways to play Tenzi. Because in the game itself, there's about five, six, seven ways to play it. Then we came out with a set of cards with, se with 77 more crazy, silly, goofy, simple ways to play this game. Then we came out with the Tenzi Party Pack, which was not four sets of dice, but six sets of dice. So we were blowing out the Tenzi brand and it was doing great. And they wanted the cards. They wanted the party pack. And every time we'd go to a, another trade show, they'd say, what's your next game? What's your next game? We go, not yet, because we didn't have a next game. Right, right. Like, no, just stay, stay focused on Tenzi. Tenzi's doing well. They go, no, no, we know. They wanted something. So then my son started to pitch us ideas because I explained the licensing round. I go, hey, if you want to license a game to us. And if we like it and if we produce it, you could stand to make royalties. So he would pitch ideas to Steve and I. We'd say make it simple. But even at that, they were too complicated because if uh -huh. you're honest, I got the attention span of a gnat. So if you're talking <laughs> for more than 20 seconds, I'm going to lose you. And, and what we learned from Tenzi is that was the secret to the success. So Colin got the importance of simplicity. So he pitched us an idea that he called Slapsy. It's, it's a, a card slapping game, really simple, really fast, really fun. And he pitched it. Uh, I liked it. Steve liked it. We went ahead and produced that. And the model that Steve and I have emblazoned in our head is, OK, we're at a trade show. A store walks up. They need to understand how to play it in seconds and they need to be laughing in seconds. So within one minute, all that has to happen. And Slapsy hit the mark. So that's how we came up with our second game. And then we've had other iterations. And Colin has come with, up with two of our best selling games. In fact, the most recent one is BuildZ. And it's a speed building game. And basically, we are now in all these stores, probably 3,000 stores. And once you're there and they like you, they're saying, give me your next game. What's next? And they play it. If they like it, they'll take it on. And now you have distribution on that as well. And all our games end in ZI. So it's 10Z, Slapsy, BuildZ. So now we're building a brand across the line so that people, when they see it, go, oh, that's probably from the 10Z guys. And uh, so is everything like is do you think it's a big differentiator in the game world to be, like you said, fast, understand the game in 30 seconds? And does that make a big difference in terms of how successful you've been well, and, and how catchy it's been? For us, it's been all the difference. It's been our key to success. There are plenty of games that are slower, strategic, wonderful games, and they can do very well also. But it's a much 
harder sale. And these days with people's time and attention, they have so much distraction. That store owner is thinking, all right, mom or dad is in the store or the kids in the store. I need to be able to share this new game idea and try to capture them within seconds. So that's why simplicity has worked for us and has worked for the stores. So I think it's easier that way, but you could still have something that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And so when you come up with a new line, obviously your name is out there. It helps market itself. What kinds of marketing are you doing for the new games? We just got back from a trade show. It was out in California for the group is called Astra, which is the American Specialty Toy Retailers Association, which means mom and pop toy stores around the country. So when we have a new game idea, we will introduce it there and that markets it and gets it into the store. And then the heavy lifting comes at the store level again. We're not spending ad dollars. We do a little influencing. We do a little social media, but we let the stores do their thing. And that's how we do our our marketing still is through the stores. This seems like a great avenue to a side hustle just because I think a lot of people that you talk to, so much of it is like building your audience, finding your audience, marketing, and so many people just drop so much money into that or just trying to figure out how to do that, taking classes and that. And yours, it's like the audience is that store. Like you said, it's at the store level, you get it into those stores and that's where the the selling happens. So you don't have to worry so much about finding your audience outside of the store itself. And I am probably making it sound easier because we had, we've been doing it for 12 years and I'm capsulizing, Hey, we did this and we did this, but the odds of failure were really, really, really high on so many different levels. But it's a really interesting, it's not every day you talk to somebody who's in the game you know, the world right. of building and selling games. So it's really interesting. What would you say was like one of the biggest setbacks you had? Actually, so one like? of the biggest ones, when we, after that first year at Toy Fair, when we said, wow, let's order a whole bunch of games. And we ordered, I don't know, I'll make up a number, but maybe not too far off, 25,000 games. And they come in and the stores are anxious to get them in their hands. And then the phone starts ringing, thinking, oh, great. They want to order more games. Well, before they wanted to order more games, they wanted to give us a little feedback. And the feedback was, Hey, we got your games. We really like it, but the bottoms are falling out and I've got dice all over the floor in my store. And we'd apologize profusely. And then they go, no, 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 that's okay. We'll fix it. We'll get them back in there. Uh, And we do want to order some more, but you guys got to know that you got to fix something along the way there. Who knows what caused it, but there wasn't enough glue on the bottoms and bottoms were falling out. And that's where actually the reps came in where the reps could do some damage control for us. Uh, and they, the reps also, I remember one rep talking me off the ledge. Things could be over now. He goes, no, you got a great game. They love it. You know, you got a little production <laughs> problem here. Right. So that was a major stumbling block at that point. But we fixed that in, in short order. And then another thing, a tough one was our third or fourth game called Pearsy, like the word pair, uh, which is also a simple game, but perhaps not as simple as the other ones. That was doing well out of the box, out of, you know, out of the shoot when we started. And we were filling pipeline and By that point, I had gotten tricked into success thinking, oh, wow, Tenzi was success and Slapsy was a success. And here's Pearsy. Well, we were filling pipeline and then went out and ordered a whole bunch of games because it was fitting the same pattern of those other games. And then what happened is it slowed down. It was a little bit more complicated or we didn't put it top of mind or any number of different things. So then and now we found out, wow, you got a lot of inventory on this game. That's not a fast mover like the other ones. Good game. People like it, but it's just not moving nearly as fast. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, we got to hold on to this inventory for a while. So that taught us the importance of don't be fooled by filling up your pipeline thinking, yeah, this is moving right along. No, you're just filling up the pipeline and the end consumer hasn't 
really, really bought into it yet. So yeah, no, that's a good lesson. And do you use any specific software or tools like besides for you guys, is there anybody else on your staff that handles inventory management, understanding demand versus what you're keeping and, and who takes care of that? And we and- run a really, really thin shop here. We work off QuickBooks, a store will call up and order something. We put it into QuickBooks and that gets relayed through a 3PL system over to our warehouse in Illinois. And the warehouse packs it and gets it out usually within 24 hours. So that's the process. As far as inventory goes, we go into QuickBooks and we see what we've sold over the months, over the years, and we project out, okay, how many games do we think we're going to need? And I basically do that. I I look at inventory on a frequent basis to see how we're doing. And when the pandemic hit and supply chain problems happened, Ooh, things got really, really thin to the point where we were basically running out of inventory just as the truck was pulling into the warehouse to fill up the inventory. Yeah. So then we said, yeah. okay, we need to have a longer lead time. So at any point now, we have probably 12 months of inventory on hand rather than six months. But I'm the one that keeps the eye on the inventory. Got it. And are both of you guys still working full-time jobs? Is this the major revenue generator for both of you? Um, yes. And do you both still maintain other jobs on the side as well? or? I- this is the major uh, way to, we earn our bread. And for me, I still do some of the corporate coaching and training. So as clients, I don't do a lot of it. And I've done so much of it over the years that I've had my fill of it. But uh, if the right client calls up and the job sounds interesting, I'll do some of that, which might be maybe once or twice a month, I might go out and do something. So it keeps me, you know, I like having another thing going, but the game business is 90% of my income and probably hundred percent of Steve's income. Yeah. Wow. And so what do you see for the next, you know, in, in kind of closing up here, what do you see for the future of Tenzi and kind of what you would like to do with it in the next couple years? Yeah, I, you know, we are having so much fun doing what we're doing. We get approached by bigger companies uh, that are interested in, well, either buying our company, that happens on occasion, and as flattering as that is, or the big box stores will call on us, uh, the targets of the world, and say, hey, we'd love to take you in our X thousands of stores. And as tempting as that is, we feel like, no, then it becomes a different animal for us. We're going to have to start to hire a bunch of people. You know, we won't have the relationship. We might even damage the relationship with the specialty stores. So for right now, we're doing what we love doing. We continue. Tenzi still sells. It's what's called an e- stores are saying you got an evergreen product, meaning it's pretty much always going to show up in the stores. We've got good brands. We've got good relationships. We're having a good time doing it. We're making some money doing it. And maybe at some point, whenever that might be, we might say, okay, do we have an exit strategy here that we're, that we're interested in? But for right now, we're staying the course. Oh, that's great. I didn't know you. So you don't have an interest in like the big box stores right now. I think that's, yeah. yeah. I just, I just have having too much fun and don't want the, I don't want that now. So I want my time to be filled, but I don't want to be stressed. So I'm walking this fine line of being fulfilled, but not stressed. And it seems like what we have right now really works. And Steve and I got a great, honest relationship where, you know, there's bumpy parts along the way, but you have a conversation, talk over the difficulties. And we've been able to do that, maintain our relationship over the last 10 or 12 years. So that has worked. Do you guys want to expand the line, like just continue to create games? Or do you feel like you've kind of rounded out your offering and now it's just a matter of sort of maintaining and continuing to expose yourself at toy stores and things like that? Yeah, when the right games come along, and again, my dear son Colin has another one in the hopper that, oh, nice. that is showing promise for us. Is he getting is he getting royalties for this? He is getting oh, okay. royalties, and yeah. and I'm trying to show him that this is not how people make money a lot. So don't. I think was like, this, this is a nice gig for him. What oh, is it's he- a really nice gig. 
but he has, you know, he has another one that we're liking. And so that looks like that we could introduce it next year. So when the right game comes along, we'll introduce it, but we're not trying to force it out there. We don't need to expand beyond games and toys. Who knows what might be around the corner, maybe something new that I don't even know about uh, outside the game business. But for right now, we have a formula, simple, fast, fun games. It works. And when we have the right new game, we'll introduce that. I love it. And lastly, just closing up, what would be like a tip that you would give somebody who was trying to kickstart, let's just say in your particular area of the side hustle, like wanting to start a side hustle with a game like you did? The tip is just start somewhere because the number of people have said, oh, I've got a great idea for a game, but I don't know what to do. Then you got nothing. So take your great idea, create a prototype. I don't know how to create, just you'll figure it out. Just don't roll up your sleeves, figure it out, jump in. I would also add, which is if you can find a partner, the right partner, the right chemistry, do that as well, because that can work for you. But you just start the process and start to dig into it. And that's what I recommend rather than feeling like, well, I don't know what to do. That's a great tip. Thank you. And then lastly, just closing, tell everybody where they can find you, what your website is, all that stuff. Uh, So for my corporate, uh, when I do corporate training, it's my name, Kevin Carroll, with two R's and two L's, kevincarroll.com. That's where my programs and workshops are listed. And for our games, it's Tenzi, T-E-N-Z-I, Tenzi.com. And you can also go to Instagram and search Tenzi. You'll see us there. So that's it. That's where you can. And if you want to contact me on the game business, it's Kevin at Tenzi. And I like answering questions for people. So if people have questions, they can certainly follow up with me. I'm happy to help them out. That's great. So thank you so much for being on and giving me your time. Appreciate oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And I've enjoyed this. <laughs>